0: Good morning. Can everybody hear? I'll all turns away. As always, it is very, very good to be with you all. Uh, I always treasure the privilege it is to be in the pulpit and to uh, just talk about the word uh, with everyone. So, I uh, really appreciate it. Probably a good idea. <laughs> so, for the last several weeks, we have been in uh, the book of First John. Uh, today, we are closing it. We are going through the conclusion, um, and it's an interesting little section of uh, Scripture, First John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21, because it's just kind of a recap of everything that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. Uh, the Apostle John goes back through and talks about several of the things that he really wanted um, these church members to know. Um, And the title of the message is That You May Know. Uh, It's really simple. Uh, One of the main themes of John's writing is uh, assurance. And it's assurance in several things. The primary thing we want to talk about is assurance of salvation. But um, he he talks about knowing several things. In the ESV translation, in this small passage of nine verses, he says no seven times. Uh, He really wants to push forward and just drive home the point that as Christ followers, there are several things that we can know. So one way to look at this as a conclusion is these are John's parting thoughts. Uh, He does come back, write two more letters, uh, but this is like, hey, to close out this letter, everything we've been talking about, these are the things I really want you to remember. So verse 13, starting there, uh, it tells us the whole purpose of why he wrote this letter. Verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So, the whole point in the letter of 1 John, he tells us, I write these to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. The purpose of the letter is assurance and salvation and eternal life. This is so important uh, to us as Christians that we can know 100% sure that when we leave this world, We can spend eternity with God. Knowing is a very big deal. Imagine you were going to go skydiving and you were in the plane and you put on your backpack and you looked at the instructor and you said, is there a parachute in here? And he said, probably. That is not what you want to hear. You want to be assured that there is a parachute in that backpack. That's the way it is with salvation, except the stakes are much, much higher. If you're assured of your salvation, believe it or not, the parachute thing is not as big of a deal, but we can know for sure that we're going to heaven. David Platt, a famous American pastor, he moved to Washington, D.C. to begin preaching at a church there, and he told a story that when he first moved to Washington, uh, one of his neighbors was a Catholic priest, and they met, and they had a conversation about assurance, and the priest told him, you know, I don't think you can really know that you're going to heaven. So he's a leader of a church. And David Platt said, he said, so are you going to heaven? And the guy said, I hope so. This is not the way you want to be about your eternity and your status for eternity. Thank goodness for us as Christians, we can know for sure. We can really know that through faith in Christ that we are going to heaven when this all ends. So now we're going to go through a few points here of how we can know. And this is kind of a recap of this, this entire letter because John really drives on this point. And number one is we can know if we are obedient. In First John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So obedience is a big part of this assurance. If you say I follow Christ, and my faith is in Christ, and Christ is the Savior of my soul, but then you don't do anything that the Bible tells you to do or not to do. It's a pretty good sign that you aren't actually following Christ. We, as broken sinners, will always make mistakes, but the problem is the overall pattern of your life should be in obedience, and that is one way that we can know that we have salvation. Number two is if we keep sound doctrine. This is Easier said is if you believe the right things about Jesus Christ. In this letter, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. So it's imperative that you remember and believe the correct things about Jesus. We've learned a lot of those things over the last several weeks. That he's the son of God, that he is divine, that he is eternal, that he died and was uh, rose again on the third day. Those are the things that when you learn the gospel in the beginning, that if you remember and you keep those things and you truly believe those things, you know that you have salvation. Number three is if we love our brothers, 1 John chapter three, verse 14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We see here again, we know that we have passed out of death and into life. So if you don't love your, your fellow Christian, your brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a good sign that something is not right in your faith. Jesus loves the church so much that it is called his, his bride in scripture. And if you don't love the things that Jesus loves, then there is a good chance that your faith is not really in Christ. And this is another thing that John drives home, that we are responsible for loving one another. And this is another way that we can know that we have salvation through him. So all of these things throughout his letter, he kind of goes through and says, these are good tests. These are good ways to look at your life, really observe your life, and say, hey, are these things that I'm doing, these telltale signs of someone that has come to true saving faith in Jesus. So in verses 14 and 15, we kind of change gears a little bit and talk about prayer and praying according to his will, but this common thread of faith and of knowing is going to weave through all of these things. So verses 14 and 15, they say, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So this is a very important thing. It says that if we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us. So what it tells us is that prayers absolutely must line up with God's will. This is pretty easy to know. If you pray for something that's clearly against God's will, you can be fairly assured that it's not going to be answered. If someone you don't like You know, you say, God, I really don't like this guy. I don't want anything serious to happen to him. But if he steps in a hole and hurts his ankle, that'd be great. That's not going to be a prayer that God's going to answer. That's totally against his character and against his will. So we know we need to pray with uh, with God's will. But what exactly is God's will? There are two kind of sections of God's will. One is revealed will and one is hidden will. Revealed will is what the bible tells us about god's character and his will these are things like god wants people to come to faith in him and say in saving faith god wants us to take care of one another god wants us to care for the less less fortunate children widows the poor god wants us to share his gospel with the lost world around us these are all the things in scripture that tell us the character and the will of god and those are fairly easy things to pray according to but then there's hidden will And that's God's plans for the future that we cannot know. So there's basically two kinds of will, what we can know and what we cannot know. And it's that last part, that is a little bit more difficult because a lot of things in our lives and a lot of things that happen in the world seem like they're going against God's character or God's will. But we really have to trust that everything is working right for that. So we're going to look at a couple of essential characteristics of prayer that will help us pray according to His will so that we have that faith that He's hearing us. And number one is that faith or prayer uh, must be done in faith. This is pretty pretty easy, right? Faithful prayer must be done in faith. James 1.6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." In the book of Acts, Peter's in prison and um, there is people gathered at a home praying for his release. And in the middle of the night, miraculously, an angel comes and busts him out and Peter leaves and he goes to this house where everyone's praying for him and he knocks on the gate and a young lady runs out to the gate and opens it and she sees him and she's astonished. So astonished, she slams the gate back in his face and runs back in to tell everyone that Peter's outside. And the whole crowd of people that have been praying for his release say, you're crazy. It must be his ghost. There's no way he's been released. This is not the way prayer is supposed to work. When we pray for things, we need to believe that they're actually going to be answered. It's amazing how many times we pray for things. And then when it happens, we're like, wow, we got lucky. You know, instead of recognizing that God has acted in our lives and answered our prayers, These people were literally gathered together, praying in the spirit for Peter to be released. And when it happened, they're like, ah, there's no way that happens. We have to believe that prayer is going to work when we do that. The next thing is that prayer must be accompanied by obedience. We saw that um, a big part of assurance is obedience, and prayer being done in obedience is also very important. 1 Peter 3.12 says, for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer sin is a barrier between humanity and god and jesus removes that barrier and lets us be back together again but sin patterns in our lives can kind of reopen those, those issues. Anytime you have a human relationship, imagine a marriage, a sibling relationship between a parent and a child, whatever it is, when you do something wrong to someone, it always creates tension in the relationship. Our relationship with God is a lot that way. When we have sin patterns in our lives, when we have things we're not doing obediently, when we're uh, doing things we know we shouldn't be done. Our relationship with God will suffer from that. So it's important that for our prayers to have all the power that they can have for us to be obedient. And then it's prayer must be patient. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable about the persistent widow. And in this parable, there is a judge in a city, and he's just like a really terrible person. Says he doesn't fear God, um, and this widow, it doesn't tell us what she wants justice for, but she goes to him over and over and over again until he, she basically nags him until he gives her justice. So um, the judge says, you know, fine, you come to me so much, you can have what you want. So this unrighteous judge gives her what she wants because for persistence. Luke eighteen seven, what Jesus says, the point of this is, is if that judge does that, he says, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? You have to understand that our view of time and God's view of time are completely different. Uh, Mackenzie, my wife Mackenzie, and I right now are watching the new Lord of the Rings television series, The Rings of Power. And it's this whole fantasy world, and there's all these different kinds of people. And two of those kinds of people are elves and dwarves. And elves are immortal and dwarves are not. So elves live forever, have really no concept of time. Dwarves have a lifespan much like we do. And in one of the early episodes, an elf goes to visit his dwarf friends, and um, he's not being very nice. The dwarf, he seems cold. He says, hey, what's wrong? Have i done something to you. And the dwarf says, it's been 20 years since you visited me. In that time, I've gotten married and had children. And he says, to an elf, 20 years might be the twinkle of an eye, but to the dwarf, it's a very long time. And that is how it is with us and God. God, I mean, we think if we pray for something for five years, we think, wow, that was re- God really tested my perseverance and my patience five whole years. And God, it's like the blink of an eye. It is but a passing moment. It is a breath to him. And that's why our prayers have to be patient. You cannot pray for something today and expect tomorrow morning that it's going to be answered god clearly has the power to act in that way if he chooses but a lot of times that is not how it works mackenzie and i tried uh, to have a child for several years and uh, it took a long time Uh, as you can see we have a baby here now so three months ago that prayer finally came to fruition but to us a lot of times when we talk to people about it we act like we had to wait so long you know uh, this was this time in our lives. It was so difficult and it took a long time and, and it. But to God, it's just not that way. So remember when you pray to, and don't give up. That's the big thing. I don't know how many times in my own life I've prayed for something a couple of times and then basically given up on it. You just have to keep driving it home, especially if you're praying for the salvation of a loved one. Just never give up on them because it's never too late. And then finally, prayer must submit to God's will and wisdom. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is kind of the big thing when we talked earlier about hidden will and about the fact that God's will for the future of the world is unknown to us, how things are going to happen. Understanding that is a big part of prayer. You have to understand that all things, everything in the world is working together for the good of the kingdom of God. If you believe the Bible and you should, we have the ending already written. We know that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We will all live in eternity with God. There will be no need for the sun because his glory will light the world and we will worship him. We'll gather around the throne with each other, people from every tongue and every tribe for eternity. No more tears, no more pain. It's going to be amazing. In the time before that happens, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what hardships are going to come. And when you pray, you have to understand that God is working everything for that good ending. You have to acknowledge that God knows what's better for you way more than you do. If you have young, young kids, uh, I'll use my brother Jared who did the music as an example. He's got three young sons. He walks into a store and one of them looks on the wall and says, oh my goodness, that real authentic samurai sword is amazing. I need that dad. More than likely, he's not going to buy his young son a samurai sword because it would be a terrible decision. No young kid less than you know, 10 years old needs a sword, especially like a functioning sword. You have to understand that God knows he is our father and has that different wisdom than we do. I used to watch this television show in the U.S. about uh, people that live in Alaska, like really far away from everything. And they herd cattle, they herd cows from one place to another um, to get to better pastures in different seasons. And one place that they drive their cattle through is a floodplain. And when the tide comes up, it's covered in water. And a lot of times when they're going across this dry plain, cows, which are really, really dumb, lay down and refuse to walk anymore. They're like, I'm not going. I'm tired. I'm going to lay right here. And the men say, you really need to get up. If you don't later in the afternoon, you will drown in the tide. And a lot of times you marvel and think, wow, animals are really not very smart. But that is, God is so much infinitely smarter than us than we are to cows. We're the ones laying down in the floodplain, not knowing that the flood is coming and God knows that it's coming. And that's what we have to keep in mind that God knows he is sovereign over everything and knows exactly what's coming in the future. And when things happen in your life that you wonder why they happen or prayers are not answered the way that we think they should be answered, remember that God knows what is coming. So then in verses 16 and 17, we kind of keep this theme of prayer, but, but it, we drill it down a little bit more. And it's like, he talks about sin leading to death and sin not leading to death. So verses 16 and 17 say, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. The first thing we want to talk about is just the very beginning of this verse 16, where it says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. This is a big part of being a Christ follower, and that is praying for your other Christian's spiritual good. So when we pray for each other, we tend to pray, and these are all good things. We pray for health. Uh, we pray for each other's work. We pray for you know someone to do good on an exam. We pray for safety, and all these things are important. But it's also very important that we pray for the spiritual condition of everyone. We know that everybody is still a sinner and still broken and has issues with sin in their life. And if anybody says they don't, that's not true. So you have to pray. When you pray for your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ, pray that they overcome their sin struggles and things like that. And it says to us, another thing, it says that we can know, it says, if you say them, God will give him life, like God will restore your brother. So always pray for them. But then it's a little bit like, I I wouldn't say complicated, but this, you know, what is this uh, sin that leads to death and sin that not leads, that does not lead to death? So first of all, repented of sin is forgiven and does not lead to death. So sin that does not lead to death. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is another big part of knowing when we are saved by Christ, we are cleansed from all of our sin. We appear perfect to him. And that is repentance of sin. So sin that does not lead to death, quite simple, sin that has been forgiven. whereas Sin that does lead to death is unrepentant, chronic, habitual sin that has not been forgiven. First John chapter three verse six says, "No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now see these are the two kind of possible outcomes of sin in people's lives. If you're someone who has your faith in Christ and you've been saved by Christ, sin does not lead to death. It has been forgiven, It has been repented of. Whereas if you're someone who has not trusted Christ with your life and with your salvation, your sin still stains your soul and it leads to death. So it's really not all that uncomplicated, but it does continue to tell us that there is no room for sin or for unrepentant sin in a believer's life. Verse 18, it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. So we see here, there's a lot of times in, in this letter of 1 John where uh, he talks about the fact that Christians don't sin, but they do sin. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But here it says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep sinning. Does that mean that we never, ever sin again in our lives once we come to know Christ? That's not true. And we can get that from this same letter. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because we are broken, we will always have issues with coming up short. It's always going to be a part of our lives. Our goal as Christians is to to just strive to be better and to strive to follow Christ and to defeat sin in our lives and not let it become a problem. In Psalm 19, verse 12, uh, David says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. It's a really beautiful verse to me because um david is not just asking for forgiveness he's asking for forgiveness from sins that he doesn't even know he's committing and this is something that we all need to do if you say you have no sin first john tells us that the truth is not in you but if you're like i'm not really sure i live a really good life i know i don't really know what my sin problems are pride might be one of them but one thing you can do is pray for this like expose these hidden faults god show me what it is that i don't do well At one time in my life, I remember hearing a sermon on forgiveness, and I thought, you know, that's one thing I don't struggle with. Like I'm, it's easy for me to forgive people, and within a few days, it's like the Holy Spirit really worked on me and exposed to me that that was not true, uh, that I did hold some some grudges against people and people that I thought I had forgiven. Maybe I hadn't really done that. Just pray that the Spirit exposes those things in you, so we can fight them. And the Spirit and Jesus, He helps us fight sin in our lives that verse 18 says that he who was born of God, that's Jesus, protects him and the evil one does not touch him. When you're saved in this assurance we've been talking about and knowing that you have eternal life in Christ, when you are saved, you know for a fact that the evil forces, Satan, they cannot hurt you. And when we say that, we don't mean that you won't be hurt by things that happen in the world. But eternally, that spiritual death that occurs, that causes eternal death and separation from God, cannot happen to you. In one of the songs we sang this morning, it says, "One with Himself, I cannot die." Does that mean that you literally you're immortal? No, it you know you'll die in this world sometime, but it means that your soul will live in eternity with God forever. It says that God, that Jesus and His Spirit protects us from Him. So even when we fall short. This is the assurance, another thing that we can know as Christians. Even when we fall short and make a mistake, we still know that Jesus loves us, that that sin is forgiven, and that we can have eternal life through him. There are a lot of people in the world that are not sure, and every time they slip up, it gives questions. Am I still saved? In the scripture reading today, we looked at uh, John where Jesus says, no one can take them out of my hand, the ones that the Father has given him. No force of evil, no person, nothing that happens, no mistake you make when you have assurance of salvation, nothing can take you from his hand. So moving on, uh, verse 19 is telling us that we are set apart and that we are different from the rest of the world. Verse 19 says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This tells us how different we are we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This means you have Christ followers, and then everyone else is under the sway of Satan. It's kind of crazy. When I was younger and I read this, I was like, wow, it's amazing that, you know, this, you have this percentage of people that, you know, God has, and then everybody else is under the sway of evil, but it is true. And it's very important for us to understand that there are consequences for us in this being separated, but our faith and our assurance allows us to live through this. In the book of John, Jesus kind of addresses this twice about the world hating you as a result of your faith in him. In chapter 7 verse 7, he actually starts out and he tells his disciples, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. This is kind of crazy to me you think about how true this is today the world hated jesus because he told them that what they did was sinful that's the way the world is today when people think that you can live any way you want to and do anything you want and you say well that's not true that's sinful they hate you for it nobody wants to be told that what they're doing is wrong and there's this big movement in the world that you just accept everything about people no matter how they choose to live their lifestyle Uh, whether it's homosexuality or transgender movement, these things, people hate you when you tell them that those things are wrong. And that's what Jesus was saying. I testify that its works are evil, so it hates me. But later on in the gospel of John, in chapter 15, verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And that's where he introduces the idea to the disciples, like, hey, understand this, because you follow me, the world is going to hate you. Like the world is going to be opposed to you because you follow me. That is a truth that is going to be a part of every one of our lives if we really truly follow Christ. If you say, Hey, nobody hates me. I've never had any opposition in my life as a result of a Christ follower. Maybe it's because you blend in. the world too much. Really think about that. Maybe you look too much like the world for them to hate you. If you follow Christ and your faith is in him and you do the things that uh, he tells us to do and you're a light in the world you will be noticed and evil will oppose you because of that first peter two eleven. if you're in the small groups uh going through the tim keller, tim keller study right now you know that this week we uh we read the scripture it says beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul Peter tells us that we are exiles from the world, sojourners, as in like temporary residences. Some translations use the word alien, temporary residence, all these different things. But the point is that this earth and this world is not our permanent home. We are not here for good, and our home is waiting on us in heaven. Paul uh, uses the uh, analogy of a tent. He calls our body a tent because a tent is a temporary dwelling. It is not meant to be lived in for very long. And that is how our time in, on earth is. And another thing about this that you need to understand is when it says the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, is that you can't be surprised when sinners act like sinners. You ever hear somebody say, I can't believe that she lied, or I can't believe that he did this? You know, you can't be surprised when people who are not Christians act like sinners. So finally, verse 20. This is kind of a, a, there's two more verses, but 20 is a a really enlightening verse, really uh, puts a good bow on this whole thing. Um, It says, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. All these things we've been talking about, knowing, knowing that you're saved, knowing that Jesus and God hear your prayers, knowing that um, you can have power in your prayer, knowing that you can live separated uh, from the world, knowing that uh, you can be obedient, all of this knowing, it's it tells us that God, with his Holy Spirit, he gives us that understanding. Christ allows us to understand the truth about him. This is such a big deal because without the Holy Spirit's help, you can't understand those things. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. A lot of translations where folly is use foolishness. The gospel message is foolish to people that don't believe it. And then first Corinthians two, 14 through 16. It says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. This little, the end of this verse is kind of like brushed over sometimes and not talked about a lot kind of quickly, but it is so profound that we have the mind of Christ. I think it's amazing that after a letter that contains some complicated spiritual things you know like we said uh you know if you say you don't sin you're a liar but you also don't sin all these things kind of seem complicated that john closes with a reminder that we can understand these complicated things sometimes when you read scripture when you get into theologically deep scripture like romans Um, It can be complicated, but John reminds us that with the Holy Spirit's bidding, we can understand these things. Our eyes are open. Our spiritual eyes are open to understand. Our hearts are softened, and we can understand what God wants us to know. And this is so important because no one else, and it says the natural man cannot understand. The people that are without Christ won't understand. You may wonder, well, how can people come to know him? The Holy Spirit can illuminate for them the truth of the gospel message so that they can come to saving faith. Finally, in verse 21, uh, just one last reminder, short little verse. It's like when there's a debate and there's like 10 seconds left and the person says, hey, you have 10 seconds, and they try to say one more quick thing. He says uh, in verse 21, little children, keep yourself from idols. One more reminder, we talked about this in our small groups also. We talked about idolatry, but he's just saying, hey, one thing before you go, uh, don't let anything be equal to or above God. Make sure that God is number one in your life. So everything we've talked about today, faith allows this all to be possible. You can know all of these things, have assurance that your prayers are heard, have assurance that you will spend eternity in heaven through faith. And the biggest question that I want to ask you today out of everyone is, do you know? This is the biggest question that you can, the most important question you can ask yourself when it comes to eternal life and spending eternity with God in heaven. Do you know? And it's such an important question because it does have an answer. You can know. You can know exactly where you stand. And it is so important for everyone to do that. I just beg you today, To not leave unless you can answer that question one hundred percent assured of your salvation. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you believe that He died, but He rose again on the third day to conquer death, that your sins can be forgiven by faith in Him. If you believe that He lives in eternity and He is divine, if you believe those things, you can know for sure. And don't leave today unless you have those questions answered. When someone asks you, "Do you know?" be able to give them a solid answer. After service is over today, I would love to talk to you if you have questions. A lot of other people would. If you would rather talk to a female, Ms. Karen down here, I know she would love to talk to you. Uh, Troy, I know we'd love to talk to you. Jared, any of these people that you know, any of our elders, uh, please talk to them. Don't leave today unless you have a definite answer to the question of do you know where you will spend your eternity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day that you've given us, Lord, this opportunity that you give us to gather together, to be together, Lord. Uh, We spent so much time after the pandemic where we were watching each other on screens, and it was just a glorious thing to be back together in person worshiping you, Lord. God, I just pray that you, you soften hearts, Lord, and that you allow people to see their spiritual condition and to recognize their need for a Savior, Lord. God, we ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.